Frank, good morning. Another Monday, another week begins. How are you? Good morning, Brad. I can't wait for us to get started on today's subject, which is about uh, how do you actually lead a cultural change or how do you actually implement um, a culture at work? Uh, a subject that I believe is um, on everyone's mind um, for a long time. But I do think also it requires a little bit of guidance and inspiration. How do you actually, where do you start? Right. I think this is something where you and I can explore the subject a little bit deeper today. Uh, even when you say, where, where do you start? You kind of just threw the ball right up in the air there because that, that is a great question. Just where do you start with culture? Because a lot of organizations, when you go for interviews, they always say, don't they, you know, we're unique in our culture. Every organization yeah. is unique in their culture. But then so many are looking to shift and change because you can't always keep the same culture through time. The, the world, the landscape is changing. And I think with the backdrop that we've got at the moment of sort of recovery out of COVID, I think culture is going to become more and more critical for people to feel as though they are part of something they want to belong to. Uh, so when you pose that question, I'm actually going to bat it straight straight back yep. to you and say, okay, well, where, where do you start when it comes to culture? In today's landscape, if I come to you and say, Frank, I want to build a culture change and shift in my uh, business, uh, what would you say to me to get me started uh, thinking about this? Yeah, well, first of all, I would, um, I would say it needs a little bit of definition. What is it actually when we talk about um, a, a work culture or culture at the workplace? And um, so in my view, to make it, keep it very simple, it's just that when we talk about culture, we talk about the standards uh, that we apply, that we have on how we interact with each other at the workplace. And uh, these you know, standards are based on generally and usually accepted values. So I know this is still very high level. But the thing is, that what you can read out of this is, it starts with that you need to have clarity on what are the values that you want to stand for and that you want to live. Uh, and these then, once they're established and once they're actually lived, these are creating the standards on how we interact with each other. So, and through that, you, have, you, you start to have an actual culture that's how I would put it on based on what is, what is a culture, first of all. So essentially, by having a set of values that we operate by, this drives the behavior of the individuals in the business. And by driving the behaviors, thereby you create the culture of the organization. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's a culture is the sum of... Uh, the behaviors and the standards that you operate among each other and with your clients and your partners on a day-to-day -day basis. But none of this, you can't have standards if you, can't, if you don't base them on something. And the, the most atomic piece of it there is, is the values. And the reason why, um, I'm certainly, I'm quite convinced of this actually. I think the reason why, um, you will also hear some companies are saying, oh, I really need to get into the culture space or we need to change our culture and so on is, or that they're saying we have a great culture, but we still have a problem with it is that it's for the most part, culture and values 
they may be defined for a company on their about page on, on the web, but they're just a part of a boilerplate. They're not deeply rooted in the day-to-day -day operations um, of a company. So there's no deliberate effort in actually making those values come alive. It's just, it just doesn't work like this. You say, we have these four values, everyone now adhere to these. And that's the last thing you heard about it. You know, Frank, when you say that, you instantly remind me of an organization, not that I've worked with, but I've been involved with here in the UK. Um, and I do a lot of work with young people with special needs. Uh, yeah. Back to my background in, in psychology and working with young people with autism. And there's one organization who drive respect as their core value. Yeah. And yet the amount of times their behavior of the people who work for them in the way they treat the young people in their homes doesn't show respect at all. And I constantly call them out mm -hmm. at group meetings to say on your homepage, it says that you treat all of your residents with respect. Please can you help me understand how treating this particular individual in this way is acting with respect? No. And I think, you know, when, when you're talking about, unless you define them and people subscribe to them, I think this is a really interesting point because we all have slightly different definitions and justifications for what we think these words mean. It's almost subjective to the point where that can damage the culture. How do you move people to having a more objective view of the definition of a word like respect. Yeah, you know what uh, works well in this is an open approach to communicating, no, sorry, for defining um, what the values actually are and what they mean. Go on. So if you have the CEO waking up in the morning and sending a memo to everyone saying, uh, team from now on, these are our four or five values, please respect them. Um, this can mean anything to anyone. Yeah. Um, it's much better to say uh, we invite the organization to collaborate in defining how do we want to be and based on what and what does it actually mean. Um, this has for, on the one hand side the beautiful effect that in the end you get something that is defined, maybe has a couple of examples and so on, but more importantly the majority of the team will already be on board because it's the values that they wanted to live. And as a, as a leader or a leadership team, you can participate also in this process and hence you also have an influence a little bit over the outcome. But the key thing is that um, everybody is on board uh, with it. And that's how you get more detail, right? On, you know, what does it actually mean for us? Courage, you know, or freedom of expression or you know what does it mean and you get there through this that's the best way if you prescribe it people are just going to say i don't buy into that it's that's not enough it's a, it's also a, a learning process that you know everybody every associate needs to go through to truly understand what does it actually mean for me mm. but if you're a company with 3000 people that's quite a big project <laughs> Yeah, look, it's never that 3,000 people equally actively engage in this, but there's, there's, you know, there are frameworks on how you can have a core team working on a project such as this one, but invite open uh, collaboration 
inside the project where people choose more or less the amount of time that they can or are willing to spend with engaging with the subject. So some of them will do this more, some of them will do this a little bit less, others won't at all because they maybe don't care so much about the subject at this point. Mm. But that's how you invite open participation. Of course, you won't have all 3,000 people who work on it full time. Yeah, that sounds like a headache even when you say it out loud. Um, but I'm wondering, you said before how, you know, the CEO can't just write a memo out to everybody saying, hey guys, from tomorrow, the, these are our values. Does it rest with the CEO though to, to maybe make some suggestions to kind of throw their hat in the ring, if you like, and say, this is what I see. These are the, the, the starting point of, of my thinking or, or when you openly collaborate, should it be everybody gets to kind of promote what they feel those values are? Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, whether it's a wise course of action to make your own suggestion coming from the top um, or not, or waiting and listening first probably depends a little bit on what's the state of your culture right now. If you, if you have created or have come into a work environment as a CEO where um, everybody who is a subordinate will not speak up uh, and will never criticize or will never give feedback, then this approach doesn't work. You should probably better than shut up and listen first. You know, but if it's already a culture that, that likes debating and where disagreeing with someone is not a reason for getting fired, um, then yeah, why not? I think they should be, but they need to be participating as an equal and not as the boss. They can be the ones that in the end say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the decision on, um, or at least I'm going to be taking part in the decision and the final definition of things. Um, or I'm going to take part in the decision on how do we implement this later on. But if it's dictated, it feels false and nobody will buy in. Right. It's, I mean, we've talked before, haven't we? Leaders speaking last um, rather than first. And yet at the same time, with a topic like values, it's so broad. I know from workshops I've run with leaders, when we start to think about the values-led leader, no. Uh, we, we recommend to all leaders, you know, make sure that you've got a set of values that are, are aligned to the corporate values. They don't have to be the same, but they have to be aligned for your team in order for the team to operate. And, and that creates the culture of the team that then ultimately becomes high performing. Here we're talking on a much larger scale, a macro level. Um, and I sense that people often look for direction from leadership. But as soon as you start to put your own spin on words, you limit the creativity and the contribution of others. It's like a catch-22. Yeah, that's right. Yet it's so important to get this started, although it's a journey. I don't think you can... I mean, even, even if you start a project of defining where you have open participation, what, are, uh, what should our values be, getting to the point where it actually will then begin to define what are the standards of how we want to interact with each other, which is like the next detailed step to it, it that will take some time. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's a journey worth, worth going on because just today uh, I came across a, um, a study where people who were looking for jobs were asked um, about what, is the, what are the top things they look at having for the next employer for the next company they want to work for. And the top three things had nothing to do with money at all. They were all about, they were all cultural elements about, they were about wanting to be 
um, treated with respect and kindness, uh, wanting to have um, smart leaders that support my growth, you know, these kind of things. They were all, in, these were all in the top and much later on, you know, eighth, ninth place and so was a good benefits package and um, maybe a commission payment for success. So these, these were coming later. And what does this really tell us? It tells that for people, the cultural environment in which they work is the most important thing. Now, as a company, you can go, sorry, I'm speaking very long now. No, but, don't worry, you carry on. Yeah, but, but what that means is for a company, if you, you can choose to ignore that and just have a great salary package, but uh, it's, you know, command and order in the day-to-day -day life and respect is really not existent. Um, then what that means is that, that you attract people who come and work for you for the money, but they will also leave for the money with no remorse. Uh, at any time and, and in a time where it's vital for survival to have actual talent on board and retain it if you miss out on the cultural element i think in the, in the long run versus the competitors who are picking up on creating a culture that's that feels good being part of in the end you're probably going to lose in the marketplace not just with the employees this is the long-term effect of it I, I know you're right, because this for me links to our conversation a few weeks back on inclusive leadership. Right. Um, I was reading a report a couple of weeks back from Accenture. So they do like a human capital management report each year. And they found in uh, 2019 to 2020, so it runs April uh, to April. They found that leaders say that a culture of equality is important and they believe that their organizations are inclusive. So Accenture yeah. found, right, that two thirds of leaders, it was like 68%, feel that they create an empowering environment in which, for example, uh, employees can be themselves, uh, can raise concerns, uh, can innovate without fear of failure. <laughs> when they went to the employees, only one third, 36%, actually agreed that that was the space they worked in. Um, <laughs> And it was something like 20% of employees who do not feel included in their organizations actually don't feel welcome at work, which was 10 times higher than what the leaders thought they were creating. So the leaders yeah. thought that they were doing like 20%, actually only 2% of people they thought wouldn't feel included. And actually 20% of employees don't feel included. Right. I mean, Accenture go out on a global scale to tens of thousands mm -hmm. of people to get this data. So yeah. you have this real mismatch from a leadership perspective where two thirds think they're creating an inclusive environment, but only one third agree. And leaders believe that only two percent of their teams don't feel included. And yet it's actually 20 percent. So there's a real gap, like a, a chasm mm -hmm. between creating a culture and thinking you already have one. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder, without any kind of answer coming to my mind, I wonder how this gap has grown quite so big, that the uh, gap between perception yeah. and reality is so high. Yeah, it is, it is self-deception to a certain degree, isn't it? Is when, you know, top executives are interviewed and they go like, our employees love the story that we tell about ourselves. And then you find out, no, they don't. 
You know, this is something I think there's, in, especially in very large organizations that are very hierarchical uh, or used to be, and they want to change. It can still be that, you know, up there on the top, you, you, you get the impression everything's shiny, but then it isn't. And, the, and so what that tells us is simply, actually what Accenture did, you need to ask. You need to ask, are we on the right track with our, with our intentions of creating an inclusive culture or generally a culture that um, rewards you know, the right behaviors as based on values that you connect with or not? And so you need to ask, you need to have a control instrument and a regular one a regular one that actually shows where are the gaps so you can address them where they are. Because I bet even in the Accenture um, um, case, I would bet that the, the one third that said, yeah, we live in this environment, they were probably reporting up a particular um, part of the business, a particular management line of, of managers and leaders who were just doing a good job at creating this kind of cultural environment where maybe their, right, their peer right next to them wasn't good at that. And so this is how you find out. You need to, you need to ask an employee, you need to give them, everyone, uh, the opportunity to tell you back how do they feel about your execution on living this selected value or that value um, is your manager um, supporting behaviors that are based on the values or not, uh, and so on. You just need to give them this voice, and then you need to see. Then you can see, as from 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 a leadership perspective, you can see where in my organization do I have to um, do I have to act so that this value and this culture can be implemented in this part of the uh, of the organization too. Uh, I call these people culture makers. They help make the culture by engaging with people and really listening to what's going on for them. Because when you sit at the top, you can drive culture and you can drive change and you can drive behavior. But unless you're modeling the way, people beneath don't subscribe. Yeah, 100%. You can't delegate to um, anyone on your leadership staff. Your job is to create a, um, a culture. I think this is something that in the end, when the culture is defined ideally in this open approach, you need to be as the, the person on the top, the number one impeccable culture creator, so to speak, that, that in all of their actions, without any exception if possible, is demonstrating that he lives by those values. Because how can he then ask from anyone else to also respect the values and the standards that are derived from this. If, if this is the most critical element, is the person on top. Um, I know that my own team who work with me, one of our values is uh, to have fun. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> in uh, coaching calls that we have as a team, in debriefs, um, there's one particular member, she, uh, she worked out of Korea, and she'll always highlight, guys, don't remember, don't forget, we're here to have fun. Yeah. And she, she calls us all out on it when it's starting to get a bit serious or maybe there's a little conflict, people are disagreeing. She reminds everybody that actually, hey guys, we subscribe to always having fun 
dial it back. Let's just laugh at ourselves a little bit. And normally they can laugh at me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to put myself out there for them to laugh at. Um, but I think it's really important because you touch on a point here where it's not just about the leaders. Because if I'm going to subscribe, say, to your company's culture and values, when I'm joining the business, I'm asking and I'm finding out, you know, how do you operate? What's your agreements with each other? When I join, I then need to almost have my behaviors reinforced. I think there's almost, isn't there, there's a stage here where actually you reinforce culture by being able to acknowledge maybe when you see it or, or even when, when you don't see it. Oh yeah, both. That's actually part of the culture is this uh, feedback mechanism. It has to be in, in embedded in it. So one of your standards needs to be that you call out when a behavior that you have observed is non-compatible with the values that your culture is based on. And you do this um, both in the moment um, with a person, you uh, can give feedback. And maybe if you're in a major associate situation, you have maybe also your reviews where you can actually give feedback on behaviors observed. Depends on what the behavior was, some things you need to address right away, other things you can park a little and say, hey, come, we need to develop here a little bit. Um, that's important, but it's not just about criticizing uh, the behavior, it's also about rewarding, it's rewarding when you, when you observe behaviors that are reinforcing the values and are reinforcing the cultural standards that you want to live. Because everyone else needs to see as well, it's, it's also worth it. There is an, there's an acknowledgement um, element that's part of the culture that just says, thank you for being how we want to be, for modeling the way. And modeling the way is something that everyone can do. It's not just the CEO. I'm just saying the CEO needs to be 100% behind this. He can never break away from the rules because that's, that's permission for everyone else to do so also. Um, but everyone else in their day-to-day -day life can demonstrate and model the way based on the values and the behaviors that you have defined should be part of your culture. And I think there's an opportunity every time we praise somebody, even for a piece of work, if we can make an alignment to what they've done and how that lives and breathes the values of the team, because then we can not just praise them for doing a good job, but we can praise them for doing a good job and thank them for doing that job by living the values of the business. So there's a really yeah. lovely connection for me in encouraging people's hearts, you know, leading with compassion that we've talked about before and really making people feel like, you know what, actually, this helps me reinforce for my team why what they're doing is so important. So the yeah. next time they do it, they keep reliving the values and yeah. this really breathes life into what for a lot of companies is just a dormant set of words that sit on their landing page. Right. That, that's, that's really the problem. If it's just this, uh, this, this boilerplate that nobody believes in because they're not true, um, you don't go anywhere and, 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 and always, you know, connecting any sort of um, laudatio or rewarding of a particular behavior back to any of the values or even multiple ones that were an example in the particular behavior 
this is a really good practice because it also reminds everybody what, what, what were the um, values again. You know, it oh, takes time to internalize that. Completely. I, I remember working with a, a retail company, um, one of the best managers actually I ever worked with. He, he wasn't high level. He was middle management. He was late 30s. He loved people. And I remember doing some work with him and his team and observing him in action, like on the floor. This is a manufacturing and retail company. Yeah. And uh, they made beds, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember watching him thanking somebody for the way they had handled a complaint on the phone. So the, the bed was due on a particular date. It was three weeks late. There were challenges getting, you know, dates to set when the delivery would happen. And you could hear by, you know, I was listening into the call that the customer wasn't happy by any measurement of, yeah. of happiness. And the way this customer service, customer excellence, they're called, um, the way this specialist was dealing with this complaint was fantastic. And one of their values was to treat all customers with high level integrity. Mm -hmm. And when the manager thanked, the, the, the complaint was resolved, a new date was found, the customer left happy, if a little frustrated. The manager went over to the individual there and then on the, on the floor and thanked them publicly for well done for how you handled the complaint, gave specific examples of what they did in the complaint handling conversation that was so powerful, and then reinforced that by linking it to two of the core values of the business, which, you know, sit on the yeah, wall yeah. on a nice poster. Honestly, Frank, this guy's face, fun. yeah, this guy's face who was receiving it, he looked a little bit taller, he was smiling, he sat up, and the way he picked the phone up the next time, you could see it, it really meant something to him. Yeah. So yeah. there's a real opportunity if, you know, when you talk, you started today by creating culture. Actually, we can really create a positive working environment by leveraging culture as part of our everyday communication yeah. once, it, once it's set, of course. Um, yeah. what, what about the calling out piece? You, 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 you referenced that now twice. You know, you've got to call people out when they're not living it. But what, what do you mean by that? Because that sounds instantly more of a challenge. It's, it's lovely to call out people when they do it well, but, but you're talking about when they're not living. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I just quickly wanted to add something to your example that you just had. Now imagine um, this excellent and talented customer service person would not work in an environment where he has been you know called out in a positive way and thanked for and appreciated and respected for his work uh but only maybe got a 100 euro raise or something like that was being a little bit more than everybody else um with the next opportunity you, you don't money is important i know you, I, if somebody gives me money i'm uh, don't get me wrong i'm gonna take it right but if that's the only thing that I, that I get and I feel not respected or valued for my contribution, I'm very open to leaving. And that's actually also what this study was talking earlier about, actually in the end said, you know, if the top three things that are important for me that have to do with kindness, respect, and an opportunity to grow are not given, man, why would I stay? Tell me. I have no idea why I would stay if somebody gives me the same or a better salary. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because it's not about the money. Well, no, in, not with regards to feeling happy and in the right place. As I said, don't get me wrong, nobody will say, I'm going to work in a super nice environment for free. No. Right? <laughs> no, well, that's not the case. But the thing is, this, this, this element which makes you so much more competitive in the talent space, having a culture that's, that feels nice to be in, in the end costs you nothing. Think about that. Now I'm going to answer your other question about um, how do you call out, um, let's say, behavior that's not in line with the values that you want to make up your culture from. Um, That probably depends a little bit on the kind of, let me call it for the moment, cultural infringement, right? So I think there are things, behaviors that are so unacceptable that the only correct sign that you can set is to fire someone's ass on the spot. Right. And, but there are also areas where you just say, you know, somebody hasn't been uh, as respectful as they could have been or um, was not, was breaking a commitment that he made earlier if commitment is one of your values. Um, that you uh, just take someone aside and have with them a typical feedback conversation where you say, in this situation, this is what actually happened, this is what you did, and show them what the impact of that was, and then remind them of that you have this cultural element so that everybody else can you know, rely on, uh, on commitments that everybody else makes. And um, so connect it back, connect the behavior to the values and why they're important and so on, and just ask them to try and do better the next time. So it can be as mild as that, it can also be take a semi, semi or formal form actually in, in uh, reviews. So many companies do quarterly or annual employee uh, talks and reviews. And um, remembering the things that have happened throughout the year or the time period that you're reviewing and bringing them up in a conversation in, with the intention for improvement, not to you know, point someone out or make them feel bad for the intention of helping and improving, um, I think this is how you do the call-out piece in those situations. I think it's really interesting, you know, because how do we get leaders to prioritize culture, for me, is a, is a critical question. Because if you look at leadership priorities, yeah. if you were to sit on a, a, an executive leadership's, you know, quarterly business review, mm-hmm. my sense tells me of, I've sat on a lot of them, that financial performance will be a top priority. Um, brand quality, we were talking just before, <laughs> no. will be a top priority. Uh, talent would probably be a top priority, maybe even expansion, uh, and possibly innovation would be like the top five I would list as no. what most quarterly business reviews talk about. No. How often do we hear culture on that top five list? Look more and more, don't you think? I know it's, you, you, try, you want to go there that we're saying we're not, we don't hear it very often, but I think we hear it more and more. As, because as it's been talked about more in the recent years, uh, it's become also more clear that you get the awareness that um, talented people who are enabled to act and, and feel connected with what you do, they can be 50 times more uh, efficient for your company than you know, a person who isn't. And um, 
also every company that is in an, any competitive space somehow needs to find the best talent on the market, but you can't make someone work for you. They need to want to choose to work yeah. for you. And, as you. and I think your HR team is, is telling you that either it's very hard to find people that are great and also want to stay, or it's very expensive. They're spending loads of money finding even leads for people who want to come to interviews and so on. And if all that's the case, it's indicators that um, actually the cost of your business is way too high. Uh, and there's also this, uh, this dimension of when you talk about innovation, I don't think unhappy people innovate. Unhappy people do uh, in the, at the workplace, they do what's required. Mm -hmm. But then why should they go above and beyond? Right. Uh, they have really no reason to do so. And um, so do you, you find very little innovation in the company culture that's not encouraging in, in, in this sense. So I think as, a, as you know, the, the top level, the C-level suite, of companies more and more becomes aware that um, we're actually talking about a very critical component in the times that we live in now. People have so much choice, Brad. People have so much choice. Educated people have so much choice of what they can do with their lives. And they, you know, it's, they don't have to work for you. I'm, I'm listening to you. I was scribbling some notes earlier and it seems to me that you've kind of created three top um, comments for, the, for, for this priorities almost one we have to prioritize culture uh, even in uh, challenging times uh, challenging even financial times yeah. right culture has to remain a kind of top business imperative secondly you've talked about for me establishing a roadmap where we as leaders go out to the business and engage with our people to gather yeah. the data, to establish, you know, what it is that we're trying to operate like so that we yeah. can subscribe to a set of values. And the third thing that you've referenced for me on top of prioritizing the culture and establishing the roadmap is actually holding people accountable, both oh, yeah. by rewarding and acknowledging it, but also calling it out. Yes. Do you see anything else? Have I maybe missed anything from what you're kind of promoting here? Because I love the idea of prioritizing, creating roadmaps and holding people accountable. Maybe we've kind of simplified what people can do to really start to build an inclusive culture that lives and breathes every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you haven't missed anything, actually. Yeah, but I would just like to say, I think accountability should always be one of the values. Mm -hmm. in because it's needed for imbalancing with um let's say some more of the feel-good values that you what might want to have about the, you know right. the freedom to express yourself and so on so this because we're talking about a business and not about a, um, um, a golf club you know something like that you do in your leisure time a business needs to make business so their values need to be balanced with um what's needed in order to actually excel in the business, but you also need to have values that, that are important for, that speak to the humanity of the people and their most basic desires, such as you know, freedom, for example. And I think these, um, these need to be in balance. They need, all of them need to exist. Yeah, if I sign up to a set of values, it's almost implicit that accountability has to be there. Yeah, it's almost implicit, yes. So somebody needs to, as a in the company, everybody needs to say, that um, 
that, that they understand this is my role, this is the contribution that I make, or this is the contribution that I signed up for, that I said I'm going to do. I will and I want to be held accountable for actually doing that. That's, that's super important, right? Yeah. And actually would create a really powerfully high-performing environment if everybody publicly or silently, actually, I don't think it matters, uh, signed up to that kind of level of accountability. Yeah. That's how you build a high-performing team. Imagine, every, imagine you could rely on the fact that everyone feels and is accountable for their part. That's actually the fundament for you to blindly trust everyone you work right. with that they're going to execute. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to worry about trust. You know, you can just trust. Yeah. Because it's part of your culture that, that everybody says, I'm accountable for this. Right, I'm going to get it done. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. I like the sound <laughs> of that. Frank, I think we've come full circle here. Yeah. We started with what is culture, we've kind of ended with what is culture. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. Super subject. Love it. Frank, that was brilliant. Uh, I can't wait till next time. Let's see if we can uh, build on this even further. Likewise. Take care, Brad. See you All soon. Right. Bye, Frank.